Midday Sports Zone. Russ Brown and Steve Norris with you. Time to talk a little college football and maybe some other stuff with David Hill from ESPN.com. Good afternoon, sir. Hope you're doing well. I am well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me as always. Hey, I, this is not a football question, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on Jim Beheim's final game at Syracuse. <laughs> oh, my pal Jim Beheim. Uh, it's the only way it could have ever happened. Like, this is exactly how it was supposed to go. Uh, it could never have ended well. It was always going to be messy. It was always going to be ugly. It was always going to be, essentially, I compared it on Twitter to the last episode of Sopranos. It's just, you know, fate, it switched, cut to black all of a sudden. No fanfare. <laughs> it's the only way it was going to happen. Uh, did it happen in Greensboro, his least favorite town of all time, is only more fitting. Um, look, it probably should have happened three or four years ago. I think there were many times when Jim Beheim could have gone out, if not on top, certainly uh, higher up the mountain than he is currently. But Beheim has never given a damn what anybody else thinks, ever. So I don't think this is, was ever going to be any different. It, it's the only way it was going to happen. And, David, didn't you go to Syracuse? I did. Uh, so you have uh, firsthand and, knowledge. Yeah, and look, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, part of the unfortunate part of this is that the last few months have really not been kind to Jim Beheim, and that's his own doing, as usual. Uh, and so the conversation is not celebrating someone who spent – 47 years at Syracuse, not somebody who is as identified with a program in college sports as anyone, uh, not someone who's won a national championship and gone to numerous final fours. It's this sort of weird gray area of like, yeah, he meant so much to the program. And also he was kind of a jerk. Like, <laughs> but that's, again, that is Jim Beheim. Like you're getting the real Jim Beheim right now. So I don't think he minds it at all. I'm guessing this is not exactly how he would have drawn it up just in terms of the wins and losses and, uh, you know, how much pressure there might have been on him to step aside now. I had always said I thought they would prop his corpse up on the sideline and have him still coaching long after he was dead. Uh, <laughs> Weekend at Bayheim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I just it was just so weird. and And I don't – I mean, they say retired. Did the, was the school seem like they were ready to move on from him too? Was it kind of a mutual yeah. thing? I mean, who knows? I think more will come out. I'm sure in terms of what happens behind the scenes. Again, I think I remember talking to Bayheim in 2020 amidst the sort of height of the COVID shutdown and everybody's locked up and not doing anything. And uh, I was doing a story on the risks for people. Uh, who have underlying health conditions and coming back and being around people and being exposed to COVID. And of course, uh, Jim Beheim had cancer, dealt with cancer. He was very involved with coaches against cancer. Um, so I called him and asked him about this. And he said, David, I have been shut inside watching Netflix for a month. There is nothing left for me to watch. I would rather die coaching basketball than live for another 20 years watching this crap. <laughs> and that is Jim Beheim, man. I don't think he wanted to do anything else, but I think it, the writing was just on the wall. The recruiting has plummeted. The, uh, I mean, the last two seasons have really been two of his worst. And then, of course, you add all of the 
off-court headlines that he's managed to, to draw. And, and look, I will give him credit that I think he went with the flow way more than his public comments often suggested. But at the same time, I mean, the, the story that he or the interview that he gave with Pete Thamel where he essentially blasted everyone on earth for dealing with NIL and transfer portal and buying teams and stuff like that. I, I, I think he, I don't think he got, well, I will question how much enjoyment he ever got out of being around anyone, but I don't think he was getting as much enjoyment out of coaching basketball as he used to. Good stuff. David Hell of ESPN.com is our guest here on the program. I know we've talked about uh, the, the conference realignment stuff a lot, David, but I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. John Skipper, the former president at ESPN, uh, came out and said, and he correct me if I'm wrong now, he was an integral part of the, the ACC's current grant of rights, wasn't he? Correct, yes. So he was heading up ESPN at the time that this was signed, yeah. So he had a lot to do with launching of the ACC network. Uh, he obviously had a very good relationship with John Swafford, the former ACC commissioner, going back a long ways. So, yeah, he, he's had his hands in a lot of this. Well, he came out and said basically that he said, thinks the ACC should merge with the Pac-12 to solve uh, its revenue problem. I don't know how realistic that is, but do you think it's a good idea? So I don't think it's realistic for a number of reasons. The first being that um, look at what the – potential numbers that we're talking about TV-wise for the Pac-12 are. They're not what the ACC's numbers are right now. So a, a flat merger where you just put the two leagues together and make them one actually lowers the individual revenue for the current ACC teams. I don't think it fixes anything. What could potentially work, uh, and I think it would involve probably more just for, for geographic reasons, uh, than just the ACC and the Pac-12, is to do sort of what happened in the early 90s when the Big 8 and the Southwest Conference essentially merged but, but actually created a new conference in the Big 12. Um, you, you would need to pair off some of the dead weight is basically what the conversation would need to be. And so you're not really talking about a merger. You're talking about starting something entirely new, which again unless you're going to bring with you the vast majority of the existing ACC, it doesn't get you out of the grant of right. So I just don't see it. I've talked to numerous people, including Commissioner Phillips uh, in the ACC, about does it make sense to deal with the, the Pac-12 and figure out a way to, to bring in schools from the Pac-12. <clears throat> and, and they have consistently said, like, the numbers aren't there as we talk about in any fashion that we've talked about it right now. It doesn't make sense financially. Oh, I was just going to ask him, bigger jerk, uh, Jim <laughs> Beheim or Bobby Knight. <laughs> I asked you that yesterday, Russ. I never got a response. I didn't really know how to answer that. Well, it's 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 interesting, uh, David, uh, to see where this is going to go. I mean, obviously, they, they've got, what, what do you think, probably two or three years to get this figured out before they're in some real trouble financially compared to the other schools? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this today. I mean, you have other schools outside of the ACC who theoretically want to be in a national championship hunt. And I don't know that they've got any better answers either, right? Like yeah. Oregon and Washington are maybe not national brands to the level that Florida State or Clemson is, but they are teams that have both made the playoff and recruit at a high level and would like to win a national championship. 
And these are teams that are going to be forced to do, to work under the same, in fact, worse circumstances than what the ACC teams have. So, you know, to me, I wonder how much it is just an ACC problem versus a college football problem. Like, I, I think in the, in the short term, yeah, it's clearly an ACC problem. It's clearly something that those ADs are, are thinking about and trying to figure out. And, yeah, I think that's an appropriate runway is three to five years, um, at least from the folks that I've talked to. But I think one of two things is true here. Either the financial disparity is being blown out of proportion and it won't actually be that big of a deal and it'll be sort of like, you know, the Tampa Rays and the New York Yankees playing in the same division. They're not spending the same amount of money, but that doesn't prevent one from competing with the other. Uh, or it's a national problem for college football, and it isn't going to be something that the ACC fixes. It's something that college mm. football has to fix. Uh, and I don't know that, that we've thought about it enough in terms of, like, what does this say nationally? Because it is the ACC that has been rattling sabers lately. But I, I think there's huge problems when two conferences are paying out so much more than everybody else. And again, like you can argue all you want about whether Boston College and Florida State should get the same share of the ACC's revenue. The problem is that Vanderbilt is getting more than Clemson does <laughs> right. by, by a factor, by you know, essentially double what Clemson does. Right, exactly. It's, 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 it's complicated for sure, and, and I don't know that we'll ever get to, to, to an answer anytime soon. Hey, David, we always appreciate the time, man. Take care. Thanks, David. No problem. My pleasure, guys.